Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing. I'm your host, Luke Carney, and as always, I will be joined by my co-host, Mr. Ewan Breeze. And before we get underway with today's episode, I would just like to let our listeners know that you can check us out across social media, and we're on Twitter, at Simbox, we're on Instagram, at Sim underscore Box, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Simbox Boxing, we provide daily updates, breaking news, and debate all things boxing. So, Ewan, here we are, the end of the year, and we finally, after much to debate, settled on our end of year, Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing end of year awards. Yeah, really excited to get this one out. Obviously, <clears throat> it's been all over Twitter. Everybody's candidates for fighting round and everything. I've been just waiting to get stuck in and waiting for the podcasters uh, the opportunity to do that. Definitely, you know, after a slow start to, to 2019, um, I think the action really picked up, you know, in the middle of the year and then certainly the back end of the year, you know, we, as, as boxing fans, we was uh, we were spoiled towards the end of 2019. Yeah, from October onwards, it's just been great fight night after great fight night. You know, after starting the year with uh, with the Gale and Eubank, it, it, it could only go up and it, it absolutely did. You know, we ended the year with with Joshua regaining his heavyweight title after, you know, tumultuous year for him. It was, you know, some some back six months in there at the end of this year. Definitely. So, you know, we're going to crack on with our awards. Um, the seven awards that we'll be looking at today. Um, debating with yourself, you know, settling on our options. You know, and I must state earlier that, you know, there was certainly a lot of to and fro in um, on certain categories, which we'll touch on. Um, there was a lot of scope. For, for options, uh, all opinion-based, of course. Um, but yeah, let's crack right on. I'm really excited to get going with this. Um, I'm really excited to put our thoughts, uh, thoughts of Simbox out there, um, like you say, after a, a great end to the year. Um, and I think we'll start with Trainer of the Year. Yeah, so I, I was obviously, uh, I was obviously quite, uh, quite vocal about this one as we were, as we were debating in the lead-up and. Uh, We've we've come together and chosen uh, Shane McGuigan as our trainer of the year, um, which I thought was you know I I was I was very pr- uh, in favour of him getting the nod you know all of the work especially done with Josh Taylor this year has really captured him the headlines and but also I wanted to recognise Shane McGuigan for a lot of the work he's done with you know fighters that although they are belt worthy they're not um, they're not maybe world title contenders just yet you know the Lawrence O'Coleys Chris Billum Smith. Uh, Lee McGregor's of the world, who have all had brilliant 2019s and look to be moving on to you know world title honours in 2020, 2021, uh, all under the tutelage of Shane McGuigan, and obviously Luke Campbell as well. I know he came up short against Lomachenko, but to play high stakes chess with Lomachenko for 12 rounds takes a special type of game plan, and clearly Shane was able to do that for him. Yeah, definitely. I think you know. When you look at Luke Campbell, you know, he was in the, maybe the most high-profile fight. You know, you could argue him and, and Josh Taylor uh, vied for that that position. But, you know, if, you, if we just look at some of the names that you mentioned there, you know, starting off, um, and, and it really the, the hotbed uh, for, for McGuigan's gym, the real, like, hot street, um, for me, started in, in October. You know, we had uh, Josh Taylor uh, unifying the super lightweight division, of course. Um, we also had Lawrence Acoli on the same undercard. Um, he won the European cruiserweight title, uh, knocking out Ngarbu, um, in a, in a you know a tough fight on paper. And then we move into November. Uh, there was the big unification uh, fight up in Scotland with Lee McGregor fighting uh, Cash Farouk, 
uh, unification of the, the Commonwealth and the British bantamweight titles. Um, Shane McGregor's charge picked up the win there in Lee McGregor. Um, and then we move on to later in November and Chris Billum-Smith in a, a real 50-50 fight with uh, Craig Glover uh, in, in, in Liverpool, of course. Um, and, and Chris Billum-Smith gets the win there, a, a really good win. Um, so when you look at that as, you know, a, a streak over, you know, a matter of weeks, it's it's unmatched, it's unrivaled in, in you know, not only just a year, but that, that small section um, of time. It's, it's, it's a really uh, impressive streak for Shane McGuigan and, and the members of his team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think especially, you know, as British fight fans, you recognise your own. And I was in the arena when Chris Billingsmith knocked out Craig Glover and obviously... It wasn't. Uh, it silenced the Liverpool crowd, but it was. It was a spectacular knockout, and you could see in the in the previous the break between rounds, Shane McGuigan was explaining to him that he was open for the left hook as they broke, and that's the shot. That's the shot he started the knockout with, and uh, you could see that in the arena, and you can see it on the foot, fight footage back. And you know he he offered fight changing advice in like say a fifty fifty fight, obviously at a lower level, but he also then did that you know against like say Regis Progress and Ivan Baranchik. And then, obviously, not fight changing, but good advice against Lomachenko. You know, he's he's doing it at British Commonwealth level, but also at world level. And I think he has to be uh, he has to be take the nod for our uh, our trainer of the year this year. Yeah, definitely, much deserved. You know, uh, congratulations to Shane McGuigan, um, a much worthy winner of trainer of the year. Uh, so that, that takes us on nicely um, to our second award, and this is going to be for round of the year. Now, I must state with this. You know, like I say, we did have much debate, uh, much back and forth in, in terms of who we thought might have won uh, separate awards. Um, but this was one of those that was truly undisputed during between the pair of us. Um, and this is, is, there's no other way. Um, we could have picked any other round of any other fight. And it's got to be Andy Joshua versus Andy Ruiz, June 1st, and that unbelievable third round. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were we, we didn't even bother texting about it. We all we both knew straight away it was round three. Andy Ruiz comes like comes out of the gates, flies at Anthony Joshua. He gets caught with a massive left hook uppercut, goes for, cl- crashing down, only to get back up and knock AJ down twice for the unified heavyweight championship of the world. It was epic. It was the stuff of it was the stuff of legend. It was Foreman and Lyle. It was Dempsey and Tony. It was it was everything we were like our great heavyweight fights, you know. That round epitomised uh, epitomised what heavyweight boxing is all about. It's about getting knocked down and getting back up, and just, just two enormous men landing enormous punches on each other. It was it was everything we want out of boxing. Definitely, I think you know if you used to to make like a, a montage of videos, um, that third round would be the pick of the bunch. You know, if you wanted to advertise to new people to to come into boxing, you know, people that might have lived under a rock and don't know what the sport of boxing is. Um, you know the blue ribbon division, the heavyweight division. Um, that third round epitomised it, like you say. Um, Ruiz, you know, some people thought he'd done well to even see the the first bell of the third round. You know, and he comes out, um, and Joshua was tentative as he was in the opening two rounds, and as you mentioned, he catches him with a big right uppercut, and then snaps in the left hook, and and Ruiz is down, uh, not only for the first time in the fight, but it's actually the first time in his career. And then the way he gets up, you know, he's looking straight at the referee and there's not an ounce of fear in him as he gets up. You know, there's not an ounce of expectation to get up and take a backward step. He's straight back in. And something that's overlooked as well because of the dramatics that came after it was Joshua landed a huge right hand as he went back in after Ruiz 
uh, beat the 10 count. And Ruiz ate that right hook before, obviously, the the tremendous uh, left hook that we later found out actually concussed Anthony Joshua, uh, scrambled his, his senses, and um, that's when he was dropped for the first of four times, the first of two times in that single round. Um, Joshua beat the count the first time, got up, backed into the corner, big combination again from Ruiz. Um, and I think the second one was Joshua was just all over the place. He didn't really take any big shots for the second drop in that round. Um, I think it was just an accumulation. His legs had gone. Um, and as he gets up, you know, there's questions whether or not he's going to see the end of the round. And he's spectacularly saved by the bell. And he somehow sees it to, to the beginning of round four. It's an unbelievable round of boxing. Absolutely. They're, they're the rounds of boxing you live for is when you're not watching the clock. You, you're so enthralled in the action. You know, obviously, the famous one is, is Chavez Taylor and Richard Steele not watching the clock, but watching the fight because it was so good. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Everyone was out of their seats. Nobody was watching the clock. It was all about the two men in the ring. And that, that's, that's for me, is what boxing is all about. It's what a great round of boxing is all about. Definitely. You know, and I'd just like to add to that, um, that for anyone that may not have seen it, um, Mike Costello was doing the uh, commentary for BBC Radio 5 Live um, and the, the the little snippet of his commentary for for the third round. I actually listened to it back this morning um, and I had goosebumps, you know, I was on the commute to work and just listening to Costello trying to put across his emotion. Um, you could you could hear it in his voice, you know, and he, he painted the picture perfectly. Um, and it was like being right back there again watching it. And uh, for anyone that didn't see it live and might have been listening to Mike Costello, you wouldn't have missed an ounce of action. You know, it was a stunning piece of, of boxing commentary from, from Mike Costello. Unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think if we had a broadcaster or award, I think uh, everybody would know who would win it. Because I, I've, I've said on many occasions, I think he's the best sports broadcaster since Howard Cosell. And that's not something I say lightly. He's impeccable. And AJ Ruiz, round three, is some of his absolute best work. It's Again, I implore anyone that hasn't listened to Mike Costello uh, doing his radio five live radio commentary on that round and that fight into general to go and listen to it because it is genuinely moving in places. It's it's perfect. It's amazing. I can't put into words how, how much, how the emotion that he puts into those words and the emo- the scope that he gives what the, what is happening in the ring, it's it's impeccable. Certainly. So, you know, the round of the year, the Simbox, let's talk boxing, round of the year is Andy Joshua and Andy Ruiz, round three, which triples on nicely to our third award, which is, again, uh, a unanimous decision, and this is for upset of the year. And we're right back again, June 1st, Madison Square Garden, New York, Andy Ruiz defeating Anthony Joshua for the unified WBO, WBA, IBF, IBO heavyweight title for the world. It was cataclysmic as Andy Ruiz shook up not only the heavyweight division, not only boxing, but the sporting world. Absolutely iconic, stunning. Um, no matter what superlative you want to throw at it, you know, it just doesn't do it justice. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Boxing is boxing is uh, divisive by its nature and... Uh... The boxing community is always divided about everything, but this this time, upset of the year, for the first time in a long time, probably since Buster Douglas, that has everybody agreed, well, Haseem Rachman probably, has everybody agreed that there is a clear contender for upset of the year. Andy Ruiz, fat, out of shape, 
six foot two little Mexican knocks out the Adonis, Anthony Joshua, unified champion, on what was it, four weeks' notice. It is it was unbelievable. It was everything that people didn't expect. And Andy Ruiz proved that it's not, you know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. And he, he, he brought everything and he, he shook up the world, you know, in the same way Muhammad Ali did years earlier. Obviously, he didn't, he's not the caliber of fighter, but the upset level was the same. They were, they were both seven to one underdogs going in, if not more. It was absolutely incredible. And we, we have, you know, everybody is negative about boxing nowadays. And there's a lot of negativity flying around. But, you know, when we're old and long stopped doing this, when people talk to us, we'll say, yeah, we got up in the middle of the night and we watched Andrew Ruiz knock out on it, Joshua, because it was boxing history happening before our eyes. Certainly. I think that that was the biggest thing to, to take away. When you, you, know, you mentioned how you describe it to people in the future um, and how people will look back on, you know, such a momentous occasion. You know, if, if, you, if we were just to take a second and paint the picture uh, of how it went down in June, you know, it, we have Andy Joshua against Jerome Miller. Um, everyone's hyped up. For, for the loudmouth uh, New Yorker fighting in his home city, first shot of the world title against Anthony Joshua, he completely messes that up, fails a multitude of drug tests for, for different substances, um, absolute joke, you know, he's, he's booted out and he's replaced by, you know, Andy Ruiz, who, like you say, he's, he's, he's podgy, he's not easy on the eye, um, dead softly spoken. Uh, a family man at heart, you know, and he just looked like he was there as a day tripper, like he'd won a competition. Um, gets in there, plays a nice guy, holding the belts at the weigh-in, and then he goes and turns the boxing world upside down. Um, and he stands atop the division uh, for, the, for the next six months. You know, he, he has the majority of the heavyweight belts. He beat, for me, the number one heavyweight in the division. And, like you say, un unless you compare it to Buster Douglas, it's it's like is unlike any other upset in, in boxing in the past 30 years, you know, absolutely unbelievable. And uh, uh, yeah, definitely upset the year for me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's one of those things. There, there are a few, I've, I've, I've written a couple of articles about it. There's a few that stand out in terms of heavyweight upsets, and but they punctuate boxing. A heavyweight championship upset is the marquee thing for a decade in boxing. And I think that this could well prove to be one of the marquee fights in what becomes, you know, a second or a third or a fourth golden age of heavyweight boxing, depending on how you classify it. And I think that, again, I think that it, it was so monumental. It was so big in the world, in the world generally, not just in boxing, not just in sport. It, everybody knew that it had happened. And that, that only comes around once or twice in a generation. It, is, it was that important. It was that big. And it, that's why it has to win our award for upset of the year. And it might well have win my award for upset of the decade, <laughs> let alone the year. Yeah, I certainly couldn't argue with that. Now, uh, for the first time um, during our awards, we actually do have some honourable mentions here. Um, you, you know, you mentioned yourself that there was a couple of other fights that, whilst they were on this kind of level, there were shots in their own right. Yeah, absolutely. I had just a couple that I think absolutely deserve a mention is uh, Pablo Cesar Cano, who knocked out uh, Jorge Linares in the first round. Jorge Linares, who'd obviously beat our our own Anthony Corolla twice and then gone on to have an epic war with Lomachenko where he put him down. You know, he was seen as a real top dog, you know, ready for ch always at championship level. And then Pablo Cesar Cano just came out of nowhere and obliterated him, a guy with a very mixed record. And he just blew, it, it was a kind of routine 
comeback fight for uh, Linares, and he got blown out in one round. I thought that was worth a mention. And the other one is uh, Casemiro versus Tete. So a lot of people think, obviously, Casemiro had been a champion, but it was two weights below. And I actually did a poll on my uh, on my Twitter, and uh, 98% of my followers thought Tete would win that fight. And obviously, Casemiro knocked him out in a couple of rounds, you know. I just thought those were obviously not nearly the calibre of AJ Ruiz, but definitely worth a mention in terms of their kind of shock effect on specific divisions, i.e., you know, uh, super lightweight and bantamweight. Definitely, you know, we can just touch on those. You know, they're very uh, noteworthy uh, mentions, of course. And uh, we can just touch on the the, the Hoggy Linares uh, bout. You know, I think the thing that shocked me most about that was it wasn't a flash knockout. It wasn't like a, a one-punch KO, you know, if, if, if memory serves me correct. Um, he was actually put down, I think it was three times in, in the opening round before he was stopped on his feet, you know, so it just shows that, you know, he had the fight beaten out of him. It wasn't, you know, a lucky punch, a punch from the gods, you know. Um, it, it, it was a systematic breakdown on the beat in, inside one round. It's exactly, yeah, it was exactly inside one round what, you know, Ruiz did to AJ in that fight in seven. You know, he just worked, outworked him, out-hustled him and knocked him out. It, it, he, it was, wasn't a kind of, flash knockdown like you say it was it was both of them were systematic kind of you know being outworked out hustled and out punched eventually definitely you know so uh our upset of the year is 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 andrew Ruiz defeating anthony joshua june 1st um but as a quick asterisk to that is there's a couple of noteworthy uh honorable mentions that are definitely worth checking out for for our listeners um on the back of that definitely um, and it moves on to um, our, our fourth award um, and this is this is one that divided opinion and I think this is one where you could have 10 or 12 uh, maybe more uh, worthy winners um, and this is for the Simbox presents Let's Talk Boxing Knockout of the Year Yeah I think we went over this one about 10 times didn't we I, I, every time I speak about it I I flick between one and the other. I, 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 I can't decide. It's I could any of any of the ones that we can mention today will it would be absolutely worthy winners of knockout of the year. It's been a superb year for knockouts. Just the caliber at the highest level has been amazing knockouts, and the, not just the kind of caliber of opponent that these people are knocking out, but in the fashion they're doing it. It's it's crazy. I I can't stress how tough this one was to pick. Yeah. So. Um, I'll take the ball by the horns, you know, after after much deliberation. Um, my knockout of the year goes to Derek Chisora for the second round KO of Artis Pilka. Um, if we just paint the quick background to that fight, it was on the undercard of Dylan White against Oscar Rivas, uh, the now infamous uh, Dylan White, Oscar Rivas uh, night, obviously with the, the, the whole... Uh, Dylan White uh, drug test situation afterwards, you know, that, that night back in July is now infamous with British boxing fans, certainly fans of British boxing heavyweights as well. Um, and Derek Chisora came into this fight on the back of the awful Senad Gashi fight. You know, we really thought that was going to catch fire um, and it just didn't. You know, Gashi must have came into the ring with his winning trains on that night and he spent the, the entirety of the fight uh, on the back foot, barely throwing a punch. Um, really frustrating fight. And then we get the announcement on the back of that win, Chisora will fight Artis Pilka. You know, notoriously a tough fighter. Admittedly, his best years are behind him, but he did go nine rounds with Deontay Wilder not too long ago, and he, he troubled Wilder. Um, and then we had the whole story in the build-up to this fight that, you know, Chisora doesn't like fighting southpaws. 
the, the training was apparently going horrendous. Um, and then he gets in there and he, he backs him up to the ropes in the second round. And if you know if people watch it back, you see he lands this huge right hook um, that stuns Spilker. And his guard goes up and then he, he goes to the body and back to the head. And Spilker's out cold, you know, and then he catches another punch on the way down. And he it, it, it just folds like a house of cards. Um, it's just it's a truly stunning knockout, like you say. For me, it's my pick of, of a brilliant bunch. You know, there's uh, a couple of honourable mentions that I'll let you get onto in a second. But, yeah, for me, uh, Derek Chisora knocking out Art Spilker is, is my knockout of the year. Yeah, I, 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 in the end, I came around to agree with you. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. It, they should, they call his, uh, they call, he calls himself War now. It's, he should be War Horse Chisora. He is absolutely an old War Horse. He's a throwback to a different era. 32 and 9, Derek Chisora. He is, he just fights like, like he's from the, you know, the 50s or the 40s. He comes in there and even like says, He's not shy about saying I've had a bad camp. I'm out saying don't like fighting southpaws. Yet he comes in and he just throws hell for leather because that's what Derek Chisora does. You know, you he either gets knocked out or he knocks you out, and he just wants to go and go and go. And it was never more true than when he fought Arthur Spilker. Yeah. And you know, look again, looking back, um, I I was I had it in my head rewatching it today, and I thought it, it reminds me of an old KO. And I found it, and it's uh, Sonny Liston. He KOs a guy called Bill McMurray after the Ali fight. And it's the exact same combination. Like you say, it's a big right hook. He drops back to the ropes, and then it's just a flurry of vicious punches. And that's that to me is why that knockout has edged the, the award. It's because of how much of a throwback it is, of how much of a kind of an old timey knockout it is. It's it's really kind of almost poetic in its brutality. Uh, I just I do love it, and that's kind of like you say. That's some of the things you want to see in boxing. Sometimes you just want to see two big men go at each other. Definitely, you know, and it's something like you say with Chisora when it when he's on form, you know, when he's in the mood, in the groove, um, he can produce these, these knockouts. You know, it weren't too long ago that he he knocked out Carlos Sakam, which might have been the, the the knockout of the year back in 2018. You know, in, in the fight that he was losing and, and losing handedly, you know, and then he turns his career upside down, and he, he does possess that, you know, the the old adage that you know heavyweight boxing can change with a single punch. Um, and I think like you say, you change it. Change his name from War to War Horse because he's just not going away. And this renaissance, since linking up with David Hay of all people, um, is is producing, in the main, truly spectacular results for Derek Chisora. Yeah, again, and he got he got another big he got another big um, knockout victory again over David Price, which although wasn't quite as spectacular, you know, it, it's it's a big name. David Price is a former British European Commonwealth champion. You know, he's, he's no joke. And Derek Chisora, he looks like he might get the Usyk fight. You know. And, with Usyk being small, you never know. And like you say, a big KO like this can catapult your career, and it absolutely has with Derek Chisora. From going from that ball-fested gashy to being in being talked about with the names of Parker and and Usyk is it's massive. And yeah, it's just it just won't go away. Derek Chisora will not go away. He's lost he's lost to the best. He's fought the best, and he just continues to keep plodding on and keep delivering spectacular knockouts like this. Definitely, you know, and, and not to go too much off track here but just you know just to emphasize Derek Chisora um if we used to go back um to 2017 he'd lost to Ajit Kabayal for the European heavyweight title um an awful fight you know uh, well not an awful fight it sounds too disrespectful but it wasn't what we expected you know we really thought that that, that fight could catch fire um and and Dell went on to lose um a majority decision there and at that point he was three and two in the in his five previous fights 
Um, and who would have thought at that point, at the back end of 2017, that three years on from that, he'd be on the verge of a world title shot against arguably the hottest new member of, of the heavyweight division in Alexander Usyk. You know, it's, it's a truly uh, remarkable back end to the decade and then in the new decade for, for Derek Chisora. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I'm I'm happy to settle with that as uh, as my pick. But I do want to uh, I do want to get onto my the other two, which could just for me could just easily have been picked. And the first one is uh, Super Sam Maxwell, who was losing. He lost ten rounds, got dropped twice against the uh, against the guy, the French uh, the French lad Sidiri, and he was getting taunted and teased in the last round, and he was shot, and his eyes were swollen, and then suddenly he pulls out this right hand from nowhere and just sleeps the kid in the last 10 seconds or something of, of, uh, of his, uh, of his fight. And that was, that one for me will always deserve a mention. I thought it was absolutely incredible and could easily have been the knockout of the year. And I did campaign for a short amount of time for it to be the knockout of the year. Uh, but obviously Delvoy, Delvoy's pipped him at the post, but yeah, yeah. Sam Maxwell absolutely deserves a mention. Definitely. You know, I can remember watching that fight back and, you know, uh, Maxwell uh, entered the fight uh, undefeated. I was still remains undefeated, but he, he entered with a, a, you know a, an unblemished record, um, and he was being soundly beaten. And, and as you say, this this is one of those um, videos that that will be they'll make the the YouTube compilations of boxing gone wrong or loud mouths being shut up or, or you know whatever titles thrown at it. Um, this almost like a a Prince Nazim wannabe. Um, his taunting, you know, the tongues out, the hands are behind his back and everything else. And, and Maxwell just obliterates him, you know, and he couldn't have left it any later uh, to get the job done. And, yeah, he, he saves the fight, he saves his unbeaten record um, and he produces almost the knockout of the year for me. Um, but as you say, so I just picked him to it. But in its own right, a truly stunning um, and spectacular knockout from, from Maxwell. Um, yeah, I think there's another one you wanted to mention. Well, there was just another another couple really because yeah. it's been such a strong year for knockouts. Like I said before, it's it's been absolutely amazing. Obviously, you can't talk about knockouts without mentioning Deontay Wilder, and he obviously had two amazing ones, uh, Brazil and Ortiz. But that's not the one I was going to mention. It was it was actually the uh, the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight semi final. Where uh, the Cuban Dortikos knocked out uh, Andrew Tabiti, who was, you know, highly tipped going into this tournament as being a real talent, and the KO doctor, as they call Dortikos, he struck again with a pitch perfect right hand. Just everything was right about it. Down the pipe, that Cuban style bang, and he just shut out Tabiti's lights. It was beautiful, and you see the shockwave go back through uh, back to his arm on a slow mo. I thought that one couldn't go unmentioned because of how how powerful it was and how accurate it was and how fundamentally sound that knockout was when it came yeah certainly you know, I, you know i couldn't agree with you more um again another uh truly spectacular knockout uh, i'd just like to mention there with um john Tay wilder you know the biggest puncher in, in boxing today for me um it almost seems unfair like you say not to include him but i think his knockouts of, of Ortiz and, and Brazil um, in obviously protective defense of his WBC heavyweight title, for me, almost belong in their own unique category, you know, where each year Deontay Wilder could have his knockout of the year competition. You know, if you look back at some of the wins he's had and, and some of the ways he's won 
Um, and, and 2019 was no different. You know, he'd lost every second of every round against Luis Ortiz, who, who up until that point, alongside Tyson Fury, provided him the sternest test of his career. And he went back and rematched him. Um, yeah, lost every second of every round. And then towards the end of the seventh round, he just unloaded with a huge right hand. You know, it's, it's always the right hand. And it, it lands square, flush on the forehead of, of Ortiz. Um, and absolutely befuddles him, you know. And and that look, as, as Ortiz is getting up, he, he doesn't beat the count. Um, and the referee is holding him back. And it's, it's, it's a, a look of pure amusement on, on the face of the Cuban. As if to say, where the hell did that come from? Because up until that point, he had, he had scoped everything. He, he, he knew where to place his feet. You know, he knew to stay out of range. And then when he was getting in, he was doing his work, getting his shots off and getting out. And that, that half a second is all it took. And, and, and it just goes to show why Deontay Wilder is the most dangerous man on the planet, the, you know, the baddest man on the planet. Um, and the, the Brazil knockout, again, equally as savage, equally as brutal. One punch power um, and the lights go off. So, yeah, I think Wilder needs a almost a, an honourable mention in his own category, almost. Yeah, I totally agree. You can't talk about knockouts without Wilder, but... Um... But you know, you know my views. I don't think he is the baddest man on the planet. I think he got beaten. But that's a that's a debate topic for another day. Yeah, leading to February twenty second, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be a little sneak preview to uh, how our a future episode of uh, Let's Talk Boxing might break down when it comes to to myself and you uh, debating February twenty second. But uh, yeah, I think that's a snippet of of what's to come, which will be uh, very interesting listening uh, for, for all our listeners. Absolutely. I look forward to it. So we roll on to um, an interesting category. And again, this is all about how um, you choose to look at boxing, you know, and, and, and what you consider to be a prospect. Because this is uh, the Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing Prospect of the Year Award. Um, again, another hotly disputed category. And again, there's different ways of looking at this and, and who you consider to be a prospect. Uh, for me, the winner of the award, uh, the prospect of the year, is Virgil Ortiz Jr. Um, he's a welterweight, but he sometimes campaigns at, at super lightweight, so he fluctuates between 140 and 147 pounds. Um, and I'm really excited about this this lad. You know, 21 years old. Um, his overall record reads 15 fights, 15 wins, 15 wins by KO. And in 2019, it's four fights, four wins, all by KO, of course. Um, a truly genius talent. Um, Really excited to, to, to carry on watching him flourish in what is a you know a, a flagship division for the sport. You know the welterweights always produce. You know there's always six, seven, eight fighters at least that you could consider world class, and then you have your elites above that. Um, and I do see Ortiz slotting right in at the mix. Hopefully as soon as 2020, and if not, certainly the early part of 2021. Yeah, I totally agree. He's he's absolutely devastating. He's he's not somebody I'd I'd kept too much up to date with. Uh, I, I must admit, but having gone back and you know in in preparation for this and watched watched a lot of the fights, you know, of the, of the different people we talked about as prospect of the year, I totally agree with you. Virgil Ortiz is destructive. He's but he boxes well. He keeps his feet under him. He moves his head, and he just has just has pure power in his hands. And at 21 years of age, with a record like 15 and 0, that's exactly where you want your prospects to be. I mean, have learning fights, have good fights, but be well on the way to bigger and better things. I I, I agree with uh, Virgil Ortiz as our uh, 
our prospect of the year for twenty nine well, for twenty twenty obviously going forward, but of twenty nineteen. Definitely, you know. I think the fight of his that really made me stand up and take notice, you know, because again you can everyone can have padded records, you can all you know, look good knocking out um journeyman, cab drivers, bin men. Um but when he knocked out uh, Mauricio Herrera, um now Mauricio Herrera is, you know, somewhat of a gatekeeper around the welterweight division. Um and he's, you know, his his record is not spectacular, not by a long stretch. But entering that fight uh, against Virgil Ortiz, he was twenty four and eight. But of the eight losses on his record, he'd never been stopped. And if you go back and watch this fight, Virgil Ortiz just absolutely violates him uh, and and obliterates him. You know, it's a pure show of power um, and dominance. And Ortiz blew him away like he was. You know, another has been another run of the mill journeyman, um, and that that was the one that that really made me stand up and take notice of, of Virgil. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's those sort of fights early on that that can be the measure of a a measure of a fighter coming through, and to to get somebody who could cause others problems who just doesn't cause you any problems, is you know it can be the hallmark of a great fighter going forward. And you know I think that's something that you always look for in a prospect is who. Who have they been tested by, and uh, how did they deal with that test? And obviously, in a testing fight on paper, Virgil Ortiz has passed for flying colours, and you know I'm I'm absolutely happy to have him as our pick going forward. Definitely, and uh, you know just to finish on, um, just the last uh, note that I made on him uh, was the two fights that came after Mauricio Herrera. Now he fought uh, an, a, a welterweight by the name of Antonio uh, Orozco, and then he went on and fought Brad Solomon uh, in the middle of December. And the combined record of these two men entering against uh, Virgil Ortiz was 56 and 2. Um, and I think for your 14th and 15th fights, to be fighting guys that had identical records of 28 and 1 entering the ring against you is, again, you know, a, a good indication of, of where Ortiz is, is going with his career and the, the calibre of opponents that might not be the biggest names, but the tested. You know they've got that winning belief. They're coming to win, which is always a big thing when you've got a, you know, a prospect on your hands and you want to see how he deals with someone that actually comes to fight. Um, yeah, so to, he fought two guys at 28 and one uh, back to back after the biggest win of his career against Herrera, um, and I think it just puts him in really good standing for another gatekeeper, hopefully early 2020, and then we can see where it goes from there. So yeah, I think he's a worthy winner of the award. I agree. I totally agree. The only other main contender is somebody that you know everybody knows in the UK, but is and he's coming through, and that's Daniel Dubois yeah. at 14, 14 and 0 with thirteen knockouts. Obviously, he's coming through, and he is obviously one of Frank Warren's flagship fighters. But I think obviously I, I chose Ortiz with you. I agree with Ortiz, but you can't discount the power and the boxing ability of Daniel Dubois at heavyweight, especially when there are less heavyweights floating around than say welterweights. You know, Daniel Dubois is on course for a world title shot in 2021. Like, it, it's coming, it, it will happen. And I think he's absolutely worthy of a mention in the prospect of the year category. Almost oh, definitely, you know, I think, um, you know, he's, he's 22 years of age now. Um, and, and the thing that stands out for me with Daniel Dubois um, is he had that fight with Nathan Gorman. You know, I mentioned a second ago about Ortiz having these fights against fighters that come to win. Um, Dubois' fight with Gorman was a true, for me, you know, and, and, you know I'm not going to be enough time, I'm going to stick to what I said before the fight, 
Um, I thought it was a 50-50 fight. I thought it was a almost a slimmed-down version of, of Wilder against Fiore and the fact that you had the boxer against the puncher, and it's who you choose. It's a pick-em. Um, you know, and I, I dare say there'd be just as many people thinking that Gorman could outbox and, and, and confuse and, and, you know, box his way to a decision win over Dubois. Um, as it turned out, you know, Dubois, uh, it was a savage, uh, brutal display, again, of, of just pure power. And there's nothing better than when you watch a heavyweight in full flow, um, which he was against Gorman. Um, and I think that, that gut check, that highlight win this early in his career, um, stands him in, in good favour. Um, and then he, he finished the year really strong as well with the, again, this could have been a, a, a contender for the Knockout of the Year award uh, when he, he obliterated uh, the overmatched uh, Japanese uh, Fujimoto um, not too long ago. You know, I think it was the, the last big domestic um, card that was from Frank Warren um, and Dubois. You know, he didn't, he didn't fail to deliver uh, with his own Christmas cracker um, of a right hand that detonated on the, on the chin of, of the unfortunate Japanese heavyweight. Um, yeah, so Dubois, a really, really honourable mention. And, and I must say, it was a really close decision, a really close run race uh, within the virtual seas to, to get the actual award. Yeah, well, again, I, for fear of after time, and I, I, I will, I'll hold my hands up. I picked Nathan Gorman. I, you know me, I, I tend to favour the boxer over the puncher, and I picked Gorman. And... and the thing that surprised me about Dubois and the thing that I want to I want to say is that he, he outboxed Gorman. Gorman is the boxer, was the boxer, and Dubois was meant to be the puncher. But he systematically outboxed, outmaneuvered, and then knocked out Nathan Gorman. And that's why he absolutely deserves a, a very tight run second place, I think. Definitely not. Um, I just want to add on to that, you know, to prospects of the year. Um, and it's almost like, you know, a, a subcategory because this is on much more of a, a small horse scene. Um, for the time being, you know, I do believe the two people I'm going to mention uh, will have a big 2020. They've had, you know, somewhat uh, a breakthrough in 2019. And the first one that I want to mention, um, and he's somebody that I've worked with closely recently, you know, I've had the honour of interviewing him a couple of times, and this is uh, Nathan Farrell. Um, he's, he's gone 3 all this year. You know, he had an unbeaten amateur career. He's come back from a multitude of injuries. Um he had the, the, the whole trouble with Kieran Farrell suffering, a, you know, an horrendous brain injury and, and, and Nathan had uh, depression and, and stuff like that. And he came back into the sport and he's been on some big cards this year in, in with Matchroom. You know, he's on the anti-crawler undercard. He was on the JD Next Gen undercard. And then he's, he's had a couple of wins on the small horse scene as well. So I do believe Nathan Farrell uh, will go on to have a big 2020. Um, and the other person that I wanted to mention part of the same stable over at the, the People's Gym with Kieran Farrell, um, is a bantamweight. Um, and now this girl, she's only 20 years of age. And this is Amy Timlin. Um, Amy Timlin, she only made a, a professional debut uh, back in May. And since then, she's had four fights. She's won all four by clear points decisions. Um, really, really good uh, prospects. You know, again, she's only 20 years of age. Um, and I do believe she has a, a a big year ahead of her uh, under the tutelage of Kieran Farrell, um, and I do believe those two. Again, you know, I've, I've interviewed these, I've, I've worked with them closely, um, but I do think they, they, they deserve their own mention in their own right, and I think they'll have a big future in the sport. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, the Northwest brimming with talent at the moment, and especially Amy Timlin. You know, women's divisions are not as stacked as men's, and you can find yourself you can find yourself in title contention very fast. And she absolutely has the skills to find herself in title contention within a couple of years. Absolutely, she deserves a mention, and you know, very she's very personable as well and very marketable for you know the big promoters who are looking to get into more women fighters. And, you know, promote those big clashes like we've seen with the likes of Taylor and Pearson, you know, in two or three years. That I, th- I think the name Amy Timlin may well be up and in with them. Certainly. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'd like to finish here with the prospect of the year uh, for Simbox. Let's start boxing. And a closely run affair is Virgil Ortiz Jr. So, congratulations to Virgil on that win. Um, and we move on to um, Award 6 um, of our awards. And... Uh, Again, towards the end of the year, we was really spoiled for choice, um, and this was a, another tightly run affair. It was a multitude of fights, and there's going to be more honourable mentions for this category than I think all the other categories combined. Um, and this is the Simbox Presents Let's Talk Boxing Fight of the Year, and the winner was Daniel Roman versus TJ Dohenny, um, and he, a, bantam, a super bantamweight unification bout that was back in April. Um, Stunning fight. Uh, I think we both agree. You know, it was a tightly run affair, but we didn't argue the fact that you know this is a worthy winner. Yeah, absolutely. It's it was such a good fight. I I, I was honestly it flew under the radar. I was I I I got up again in the middle of the night for um for Chocolatito Estrada, not Chocolatito for uh, Rung Versailles against Estrada, and I was excited for uh, I, was, I was excited for that, and I thought, oh, what's this on before it? And it was genuinely one of the best fights I've ever watched. It was because obviously the the elephant in the room now is the two World Boxing Super Series finals. Uh, in terms of that is what most people have picked for their fight of the year, and they are worthy winners, and we'll come on to them. But what this had was the, exactly the same. It was a unification, WBA, IBF, one champion versus champion, and but it also had three stunning knockdowns, really close fought rounds, some clear rounds for both, and it, it was a back and forth equal to both of those and it's um i am a bit gutted that it's been kind of lost in there in the excitement of the back end of the year because it was genuinely that good you know tj deheny won round after round but then daniel roman just had this equalizer and he put him down three times in the end and it was just an absolute stunning fight and if you haven't seen it i would employ you to go back and see it because it like i say people might think we're mad for not picking one of the wbss finals but this fight was every bit as good as in the New Aden era of Taylor Progress. It had everything you want. It was back and forth. There was knockdowns. There was drama. It was it was everything. And it was, for a world title unification, it was at a very, very high level at junior featherweight. Certainly. You know, I, I think one of the standout moments for me during this bout, you know, which was an absolute war uh, in every sense of the word, um, was in the 11th round, uh, uh, Daniel Roman put TJ Dehenny down for the second time. Um, but this was a, it was a heavy knockdown. It was a body shot right in the solar plex. And there's, there's a moment when the camera is, is focused on the honey's is listening to the ref's count and blood's just spurting from his nose, you know, and there's clatter everywhere. And he looks the ref in the eye and he beats the count. And not only does he beat the count, he goes straight back on the front foot and he arguably wins the 12th round um, in, in a really closely run affair. And it just epitomised... What a great fight, and and on a, a bigger scale, what a great sport. You know, we, we are fans of that. That is again a poster fight for for the sport of boxing. 
Um, I think the only downside to that fight was it did come during what was a barren spell at the beginning of the year. You know, everyone was a bit frustrated with the, the Wilder and Fury rematch not happening straight away. And there seemed to be a lack of big fights happening. You know, the anti-Joshua fight wasn't until June. Um, there was a couple of subpar matchroom and Frank Warren offerings. Um, and I think this one just is, is easy to forget about until you remember, until you watch the fight, whether it be in the full fight or whether you watch highlights. It is easy to forget until you look at it back, and it's it's a stunning fight. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, the the thing that this has to offer that the others don't is, well, <clears throat> well, in some senses that they all do. But is you know Jack Dempsey famously said the champion's someone that gets up when he can't, and TJ Dehenny couldn't, and he did. And it's about that that championship mindset and that warrior spirit that they both showed in there. That you know Dan, Daniel Roman took a beating for two or three rounds in there, and he just took a beating and took a beating, and he still detonated that power. And you know TJ Dehenny gets dropped heavy, and he gets back up, and he fights on, and he puts his he doesn't run away, he doesn't try and survive, he gets back on the front foot, foot on the gas, and tries to stop Daniel Roman, even though he knows he probably can't. But he he gives it his all because that's what champions do, and they were both exemplary champions. And it was yeah, that's what boxing's about. Like you say, it's it's about two guys giving it their one hundred percent. And they both did. They left everything in the ring that night. And you know, I, I, I thought Daniel Rowan was a deserved winner, but I would love to see a rematch of that in twenty twenty. Definitely, you know, I think I could certainly agree I'd love to see that back one hundred percent. But the the thing is, you know, when I have looked into it a little bit deeper, um, in, in preparation for the pod, um, and you look at the, the super phantom weight division um, and some of the names in there with Daniel Roman to look at, you know, further unifications for action. You have people like Emmanuel uh, Navarrete, uh, Ray Vargas, um, Guillermo Rigondo, uh, he's still around. Isaac Dogbo will be looking for another big fight. You know, there's some really, really uh, big fights for Daniel Roman. You know, I think he's, uh, his next fight's uh, been announced for, um, I think it's the end of January. Uh, I think he's fighting his, his mandatory challenger, but you know, looking at some of the other bigger fights, the other bigger options available to him, um, if he wanted to chase, you know, further unification fights, there's some unbelievable fights. I mean, it's mouthwatering to think of Daniel Roman against Ray Vargas uh, in uh, at some point in, in in 2020. You know, I'd pay good money to see that fight, um, and hopefully, it's, it's something that could be put together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But if that if it if it ends up being that, I wouldn't. I would absolutely, you know, if it ends up being Roman Vargas, why not Dehaney Navarrete or Dehaney Rigondeaux, Dehaney Dogbo? I'd pay to see all of those fights. It's an on fire division for those people who know boxing because you look at those names and they're not mainstream names, but those fights are incredible. Like they any of those, you mix any of those top five, mix them in with each other, and that would be a hundred percent like they'd be fight of the year contenders. I think that'd be I think that'd be an incredible that's an incredible little weight class that not a lot of people know about that could really set off some fireworks in twenty twenty. Yeah, certainly couldn't agree more there with you and you know, um, hopefully we do see some of those fights uh, in twenty twenty. Um now onto the, the honourable mentions for fight of the year. Um and again this is this is similar to the knockout of the year. We were spoiled for choice. Um and we could we could have done a separate pod for, for this uh category, such as the the quality and the, and the delights available um, for choice. Um, I'll let you take that away with it, with what you believe are your next best in terms of fights of the year. Yeah, it was 100% in the way, Uh I, I was, 
I up until today. I know I know we settled on the Roman Dehaney and and I, I do I do stand by that, but God, it was hard not to pick a new end and air. They were get, Thursday morning, and it was an absolute slugfest. You know, in who is known as this, you know behind Deontay Wilder, he's the next hardest puncher in boxing, and he's a bantamweight. And you know, everyone thought Donair was a lamb to the slaughter, but then he rolled back the clock and he just fought out of his skin. He got up off the deck and he just gave Inoue hell, but Inoue proved that he was good enough. And that's again, it was it was a gut check of the highest order against a multiple time world champion. It was. You know, the, one of the best prospects, obviously, he's a world champion, but the, one of the best kind of future Hall of Famers he's been, in a way, he's been talked about yeah. against a guaranteed Hall of Famer in Donair, and they just gave each other hell for leather for 12 rounds. I can't, I could, I could, I could do a whole podcast on my own about how good Inoue and Donair was, but in the same I could do with De, uh, Roman Dehaney, but it was just, it was incredible, and that is, you know, that is, you know, fighting spirit personified. It's the Warriors' code. They went toe to toe, and it was impeccable. It was amazing. It was brilliant. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a truly uh, stunning fight, and, and again, in every sense of the word, um, Nao Inoue is, is one of my favourite international fighters. Uh, and the Nair needs no introduction. You know, he's a, he's a multi-weight uh, world champion, multi-time world champion, as you say, a bona fide first ballot uh, Hall of Famer. Um, and there was just a couple of standout moments in that fight for me. Um, one being after the fight, uh, Inoue, uh, he mentioned that he, he'd suffered double vision um, or blurred vision uh, due to a, a, a concussive left hook. And you go back and you look at it and, and you see Donair land this almighty left hook, I think it was in the second or the third round. Um, and you actually see Inoue, um, in response to that, he has to cover up almost one eye uh, to try and make sure that he can still see um, where Nanito Denair is um, as he's trying to land his own shots, you know. And again, I won't be an half-timer. I won't say I expected this to be a 12-round war. I, I, I truly believe that in new way, anyone around 122 um, pounds uh, up or down a division, I think in way is is the man. Um, and he just fought Denair, who was possessed almost, you know. Uh, he rolled back the years. He put on, you know, he played his part in an absolute boxing masterclass, a war. However, you want to look at it, whatever type of boxing you're after, at one point or another in that fight, you found it. You know, dramatics, cuts, each man having his moments, the pendulum swinging both ways, spectacular. Um, and again, you know, we're spoiled, and we could have chose different fights for different reasons to win this category. Uh, I do believe it's the most hotly contested category this year. Um, and the new way Dinner uh, is it plays its part right there. And sorry, the, the second thing I wanted to mention about that fight, which I thought was brilliant for him in a way. And it's only caught on on a, on a small snippet after the fight and he's you know he's he's receiving the belts, he's receiving his Muhammad Ali trophy for winning the World Boxing Super Series and he's he's being passed a WBC diamond belt, and he just totally disregards it. Um, and I just thought for for all the messing around and you know multitude of belts and all these um, ABC titles for somebody of his level on such a platform to make a stand was quite the moment. Absolutely, it was a fighter's fighter that day. Wasn't he? When he put it back, it was it was you know what what people who refer to themselves as hardcore boxing fans love to see, you know, 
I, I want belts. I want real belts. I want one belt per weight class. I don't want any of your rubbish WBC stuff. Yeah. Send it back. I want my I want my real belts, and that's that's that shows what he is. He's a he's a champion. He's a true true old school champion, and I look forward to seeing him in massive fights in 2020. Definitely not. In terms of honourable mentions, um, and they deserve to be mentioned, so I can't skip by them. Um, first of all, uh, Regis Progre against Josh Taylor, uh, October 26th at the sold-out Auto Arena. Um, in what is on paper for me the most prestigious fight we had this year. You know, two undefeated, young, in the prime, world champions um, come through. Quite a tough tournament in the World Boxing Super Series. Um, and after a lot of, you know, is it happening, is it not happening in terms of the, fin- the final of the, the World Boxing Super Series, they finally get it on. Uh, it was a huge card. It was a huge night. And what a fight they put on. An absolute boxing treat. You know, unbelievable fight. Yeah, absolutely. And everything we said about Inouye Donaire was applicable to Taylor for Grace as well. It was it was a violent chess match. It was blood and guts, but it was high technique. It was two of the most skilled fighters in the world, you know, going toe to toe and not just not just throwing hell for leather, but throwing accurate, precise, measured hell for leather and, you know, really just testing each other's skills and they they were they were incredible and just because they've come third doesn't mean they're any less worthy than anybody else we've talked about. It was an incredible night at the O2, and Josh Taylor and Regis Grace put everything on the line, and they deserve everybody's utmost respect. They were absolutely phenomenal. Certainly. Um, it almost feels like we're doing an injustice, uh, not breaking that fight down <laughs> further, but I'm sure at some point in the future it's something we can come back and look at, because the other fight that I wanted to mention, um, and it has slightly gone under the radar, because it's in the same division, um as Pro Grain Taylor, and it was more of a domestic grudge match, but there was a lot of spite in the build-up, um, and the fight that I'm, I'm talking about, of course, is Lewis Ritson defeating Robbie Davis Jr. Um, in, in, in a fantastic, uh, all-English, British grudge match. Stunning fight. Yeah, bad blood personified, on it? That's what they called it, and that's what it was. You know, it was Newcastle versus Liverpool, two of, you know, Britain's proudest fighting cities, and they they gave it they gave it them everything again you know you just the respect I have for fighters who can do the things that these fighters we're talking about can do is unparalleled Robbie Davis Jr. and Lewis Ritson just gave it everything you know I've I've had words with members of Lewis Ritson's team and we're not close friends but you know ultimately if you put your feet through those ropes and you go hell for leather like that I'll always have respect for you and they both of them earned the respect of each other and every boxing fan, or they should have done, because what they did was was amazing. It was brilliant. It was a domestic version of the fights we've already talked about. It was it was really truly wor- noteworthy, worthy of mention. Certainly, yeah. You know, I really enjoyed the fight, and I think that the, the the main sticking point, and the main thing that takes me back to that fight when I think of it is the way that the fight exploded into life in the first, and the second, and the third round was matched equally in ferocity when we was in the 11th and the 12th round, you know, trading punches, heavy shots, combinations, body shots, um, a real pick and fight, you know, going into the fight, it was a real pick and fight. And even at that final bell, you know, had it been given a draw um, or a couple of rounds, either way, there would have been no argument for myself. Um, and that's really in, shows how much of a close fight it was. 
Yeah, absolutely. I scored it a draw on the night. Uh, I haven't gone back and rescored it, but it, you know, I, I have no, I have no problem with either of them winning it by a round. It was, it was one of those fights. It was close, and it was like you say, blood and guts, and really worth a watch if you haven't seen it already. I think something that you know might be worthy um, of a quick snippet uh, while we're on that division, and while we've mentioned both of those fights, um, I think it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on how do you think. Um, Ritson would go about, you know, challenging the elite of that super lightweight division. I know there was some talk of a St. James's Park challenge of Josh Taylor's world titles, um, which, of course, would sell a magnitude of tickets. You know, it'd, it'd be an unbelievable occasion. But in terms of a a one-on-one, mano-a-mano boxing match, I don't see it playing out that way. What do you think? I think I think as uh, again for fear of for fear of annoying a load of Geordies again, uh, I think that for all for for the spectacular event it would no doubt be uh, Lewis Richardson couldn't go five rounds with Josh Taylor. I think he's he's not he's not got the skills or the size or the physicality or the power to 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 stay in there with Josh Taylor. Josh Taylor's a pound for pound elite now. He's knocking on the door of top five pound for pound. If he beats if he beats Jose Ramirez next year, he he's top he might be top three. Uh, and Lewis Ritson is, for all his faults, a lightweight who is too big to make lightweight anymore. I don't think he he can last with Josh Taylor, but I think that's enough for me in the hypotheticals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, in 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 the main, I'm you know I'm, I'm inclined to 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 agree with you. The only thing that I would say is that I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. You know, for other reasons why it shouldn't happen in terms of is Ritson good enough to challenge Taylor? Because um, I'm sure he'd love to give it a go. Um, but in terms of it, you know. To the majority of boxing fans, that, that no boxing, it's not a competitive fight at the minute. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. There's just a lot of money on the table um, with a you know a, a potential fight, and I would not be surprised. Oh no, I totally agree. I think I think it's the uh, the logical move if you wanted to increase profile and make money, and that's ultimately what boxers' goals are in boxing. And I think I I, I would not be surprised at all if that's what happens next. Definitely, definitely no. Um, we, we do have one award um, remaining. You know, it's, it's the biggest award. Um, what we do present, um, what we do offer. Uh, but just before we get into that, Ewan, um, I think this would be, you know, a, a good time to to mention, um, offer, to give you the opportunity to mention. Um, you know, sometimes the, the sport of boxing is is certainly very unforgiving. Um, it's a very dangerous sport. You know, it's a sport we all love, but it's not without its faults. Um, and unfortunately, in the year of 2019, we was um, Reminded of those facts on multiple occasions, um, and I think on a an end of year award in in celebration of boxing, it'd also be nice to you know give a bit of respect um, to to those that have unfortunately passed away this year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody knows boxing's cruel, and you know uh, it, it's unforgiving in a lot of places, and. Unfortunately, a consequence of of the sport is that people do lose their lives and. That is always always tragic, and obviously this year we had uh, Maxim Dalishev, Hugo Santillan, Boris Shanchov, and then lastly Patrick Day, who all lost their lives in the boxing ring, and those are tragedies. And uh, I just think that, you know, to to give you like everybody that steps through the ring, uh, gives their lives to boxing, uh, but unfortunately these four have literally had to give their lives to boxing, and um, they should be honoured as fighters of the year, uh, in the same way that our next pick will be because. Ultimately, they showed heart, grit, resilience, all of the things we, we love in boxers, and, but ultimately that, that cost them and their families their lives. And 
I think we should recognise that as a tragedy uh, and not to not to make the tone sombre of the podcast, but um, I think that these people need recognising because uh, without them, our sport can't move forward. And with you know, you don't we don't want to push them under the rug. We want to you know recognise those names and, and make improvements in boxing uh, in their memory. And I think that's really important. And I think that you know we should play our very small but our part in that. Certainly, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, the really, really good words, uh, really well spoken yourself there, you and, and you know, the whole team at Simbox uh, are in unity and in, in showing our respect, you know, our gratitude to, to every boxer um, that steps through the ropes and, and each of those four tragic cases. Um, our thoughts are with their, their family, their friends, and, you know, we, we can't, you know, respect those guys enough. Um, yeah, so I think if we... If we move on again, you know, we we don't want to load the tone too much, but they deserve their own recognition, each man, um, in their own right. But if we if we move on, um, to our final award, um, award seven of Simbox presents Let's Talk Boxing, um, and it's the big one. It's a fighter of the year. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting, and I think I think we were I think we were pretty agreed on this one there. And I'll uh, I'll let you announce it, Luke. But uh, it was a very, like I say, a very very hard fought competition again. It was several worthy contenders. But uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you lead on this one. Yeah, of course. So, Simbox presents Let's Talk Boxing's Fighter of the Year is the Tartan Tornado, Mr. Josh Taylor. Um, and for me, this is undisputed. There's a few honourable mentions which we'll get to, but nobody's had a year like Josh Taylor. Um, in terms of the magnitude of the fights, the step up in class that he's took on and, and beaten um, from, from when he entered the year to how he's finishing it, it's, it's a real, real stunning uh, year uh, for a fighter, you know. And, and Josh Taylor this year, you know, he had two fights in 2019. If we go back to May, 18th of May in Glasgow, you know, what an atmosphere as he fought in the semi finals of the the brilliant World Boxing Super Series, Super Lightweight Edition. And he goes in against Ivan Branchik. He was 19 and 0 entering the fight. And he was the IBF champion, making the first defense of his title. And Josh Taylor beat him up. It was a close fight, but Josh Taylor was always ahead. I think he put him down in the, the seventh round um, before winning a unanimous decision. Um, a spectacular card, a spectacular night of boxing, and, and, and a brilliant win for Josh Taylor. And he picks up his maiden world title in the IBF Super Lightweight title, which then moves on to the World Boxing Super Series final, which we've already mentioned, fight of the year contender against Regis Prograi, um, IBF and WBA Super Lightweight unification bout. And it's an absolute war, as we've already mentioned. And Josh Taylor wins that fight. And he ends the year with the World Boxing Super Series Muhammad Ali Trophy. He finishes with a 16-0 record. And he also has the IBF and WBA super lightweight titles. And for me, he's the number one in that division. And as you mentioned earlier, knocking on the door, pound for pound wise, maybe top five. Uh, so undisputedly, the Let's Talk Boxing, Simbox presents Let's Talk Boxing, fight of the year is Josh Taylor. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And like I said, we've got he was he was in a clear fight of the year contender. But you know, in a worse year, his fight with Baranchik might have been a fight of the year contender as well. It was incredible. His rise and rise, the rise and rise of Josh Taylor. He was uh, he was amazing. So his his last two opponents, if we were doing the the thing we did with Virgil Ortiz, uh, were forty three and zero. 
and he was fighting at 15 and 16. They were his 15th and 16th pro fights, and he was fighting guys that had a combined record of 43 and 0. He was fighting the elite of the elite at super lightweight, and he was beating them, and he was beating them well, and he was beating them in amazing fights. He's been incredible since he's turned pro, but this year has been his best year by far, and I think he has to, especially, you know, we are, you know, we we often rate boxers from from Britain, and I'm not saying that he's not earning this on merit, but it, it just pushed him even further over the line as our fighter of the year, and I think he's, yeah, again, waxing lyrical about Josh Taylor, he can box, he can punch, he can move his feet, he moves his head, he's absolutely brilliant in the ring, He's and now he's clearly cemented as the best fighter at 140 pounds in the world, and I think he's got a massive future at both 140 and 147 at welterweight, I think, I, I think that he's proven this year that, you know, he's got heart and he's got skill in absolute abundance and you know he's he's proved that you know that he is the fighter of the year and he could well be the fighter of the year again going forward you know he's still only 28 years of age he's, he's hitting his prime now you know your prime prime as an athlete you know 27 to 30 or something they, they say and he's going to be absolutely tearing through the division for the next couple of years and i think i think he's rightly our our fighter of the year this year Definitely, you know, like you say, that the Branchick fight was, was a great fight. It was his breakout fight for me, you know, it put him on that world stage. It was over here in Britain, of course, we, we knew about him, you know, he's working with uh, Cyclone Promotions and, you know, under the tutelage of Shane McGuigan. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we quietly knew him going around his business. You know, if we go back to last year and, he, you know, he, he beat, um, you know, we mentioned about how good the records are of his opponents he defeated this year. Last year, he beat uh, Victor Postel, you know, by no means an easy fight. He was 29 and one going into that fight. He defeats Ryan Martin in the first round of the World Boxing Super Series. He was 22 and 0. You know, so Josh Taylor's for such a by a number by numbers is such a you know a, a juvenile almost, but he, he's he's boxing guys um, and beating guys that are more experienced, you know, more established. And as you rightly say, you know, Josh Taylor for me is is pound for pound the best boxer in Britain, um, and he, he's certainly top 10 um, in, in the world, pound for pound for me at the minute, you know, and he's a deserved fighter of the year for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think he's been, uh, I think he's been incredible. Yep. So but I, I do think there are a couple of other people that would do need a mention in this category. Just, you know, uh, the other WBSS winner, Nayo Inoue, I know we've waxed lyrical about him a minute ago, but I think he absolutely comes a close second to, uh, to Josh Taylor in this category. Yeah, certainly, and I think, you know, something that's definitely worth a mention here when you say, you know, um, we've waxed lyrical about the World Boxing Super Series or the participants, it just goes to show that when tournaments like the World Boxing Super Series work and work well and they pit the best against the best, then when it comes to these end-of-year awards, they are going to be the front-runners because they've took on and beat the best of the best available. You know, we're not talking about fighting, you know, the 6th or the 7th or the 8th ranked opponent that's fighting out of the skin. We're talking about two or three or four elite boxers in each division. Boxing. So then Nayo Inoue defeating Emmanuel Rodriguez. Again, that, that could have been mentioned for knockout of the year. It's a brilliant win on the undercard of Josh Branchick. And then he, he, he destroys Rodriguez. Then he moves on to the final. And he shows a different side to his game. You know, when he is took the distance, which some people was unsure whether he could do. Like when you always have a boxer 
that he's knocking people out. The the question mark always hangs over whether or not he can take that into six rounds, into eight rounds, and into twelve rounds. And anyway, Sean against a brilliant boxer and denier that he can he can hang there for for the full twelve rounds in a world class fight against a world class opponent and get the victory. So yeah, a, a, a much worthy honourable mention goes to Naoya Inoue. Um, himself a unified champion, WBA, IBF, and himself a World Boxing Super Series Muhammad Ali Trophy winner in 2019. Yeah, absolutely, and it's no secret I don't like the guy, but uh, Sal Caleno Alvarez has to get a mention as well. Three what? Three fights, three weight classes, three wins. You know, not, not the best kind of opponent. He was never going to win this category, but I think he has to have a mention fighting at middleweight, winning a world title winning a version of super middleweight and then obviously WBO light heavyweight title against Kovalev. I think you've got to throw him in as the third the third contender for fighter of the year. Yeah, you know, I, I can't dispute that. Um, and unlike yourself, you know, um, for what it's worth, I, I am a fan of Canelo. Um, I believe he, he possesses the best overall record in, in the sport of boxing at the minute, you know, up there with Manny Pacquiao. Um, and the fight... You know, it's it's difficult to call him the four weight world champion because you know the the, the WBA super middleweight champion, of course, Cam Smith and and Canelo defeated Rocky Fielding back end of 2018. So it's, you know, for me, he's a three weight world champion. Um, but the 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 caliber of opponent that he defeated this year uh, more than warrants a mention um, up as fight of the year. In in lesser years, you know, he might have been number one. You know, moving up to to light heavyweight and 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 disposing of of Sergey Kovalev in a fight that a few people had Canelo losing at that point. You know, was we heading to the famed scorecards that seem to favour Canelo? Um, that that would have uh, would have been interesting to see. But you know, he, he took it out of the judges' hands uh, with a huge uh, punch that, that that absolutely switched the lights off in, in, inside Kovalev. In that, uh, I think it was the eleventh round. Um, yeah, so that on its own is, is worthy of a mention in terms of fight of the year. Yeah, I can't. I'm I'm very happy with that as a list. I think it's I think it's controversial as always, but also, you know, you know, recognizes the spread of boxing and the different types of fight and fighter and the the kind of the variety that boxing brings and the variety of boxing is brought in 2019. And I'm really happy with uh, with that. And you know, special special congratulations to Josh Taylor, fight of the year. And, you know the Tartan tornado rolls on. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I really enjoyed. You know, uh, when you get to this stage of the year and you can look back, and you know, and there's much deliberation. And I think that's why we did agree to to push this pod back as far as we can because we we was both in certain categories um, had our own thoughts, and it, it did take you know a bit of well, what about this and what about that? And and I'm really happy with the, the awards that we've given out. Everyone's a worthy winner, and in the majority categories. Um, it was hotly disputed, and that's that's just goes to show again what what a fantastic year of boxing uh, 2019 was. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so I think you know just looking at 2019 as a whole, um, is is there a, a single moment you know as a fan of boxing you that stands out to you, and and that's why you look at the sport of boxing and, and say that's why I'm in love with this sport, that's why I'm such a huge fan of boxing. Uh, as a fan, as a fan of boxing, I've, I've followed Anthony Joshua since his pro debut, and I was, I was, you know, obviously it was historic to see Andy Ruiz win it, but I was, I was gutted. I was really, I was really like, 
you know, I was down about it because I'm such a massive anti Joshua fan. I really want him to do well. He's you know British heavyweight, and you know he's one of the best British heavyweights we've ever had. You know, him and Tyson Fury will go down alongside you know Lewis's, Bruno's, Bugner's, and Cooper's, and seeing him regain his title in the desert was was incredible and he's measured you know me I like a I like a measured footwork head movement jab and grab performance I do like a a measured performance and seeing Anthony Joshua regain those titles with a kind of a measured effort and I was I was over the moon for him and that that's my highlight as a fan you know I had I had a, a house full of people and we were all going absolutely mad for for Anthony Joshua and that's that's my moment of the year was was uh, the clash on the dunes, which turned out to be uh, you know a masterclass, a masterclass in Saudi. You know it was it was that was my moment of the year, I think. Yeah, you know I, I am a, you know I, I'll give a special mention to the um, Antifa, Antifa Fowler and Scott Fitzgerald fight early in March. It was a great fight, um, but it doesn't it doesn't come close. Um, it pales insignificant in comparison to my moment of the year, which I'm going to share with yourself. Um, which is uh, Anthony Joshua regaining the unified heavyweight titles of the world. Um, from the moment he lost in June, um, I, I put a tweet out on the Simbox, and you know I believe that he got it wrong on the night, and that he is superior to Andy Ruiz Jr. No disrespect to to Ruiz Jr., but I do believe Anthony Joshua was and has gone on to prove a level above. Um, and it was such a long wait from June 1st to December 7th, you know, and. There's a lot of people with their opinions, you know, and that's the great thing about the sport of boxing is everyone has an opinion and no one necessarily is, is wrong until proven otherwise, you know, and when, when the two men step in the ring and you get your answer. And the way Joshua answered all the questions, you know, he won't be able to stay focused. He won't be able to have the tank to box him off for 12 rounds. He will get involved. And when he does get involved, he will get tagged and he will go down, you know, and he ran those thoughts and those words right down the throat of the, the haters as they may be um, and produce an absolute boxing clinic an absolute boxing masterclass and for me you know stands atop the heavyweight division as as the man you know he has the most belts he has the best record um, and all we need now is fights with the other two uh, big heavyweights in the division of course Johnson Wilder and, and Tyson Fury but uh, for me, that that is the moment in in 2019. Yeah, and we hadn't discussed the uh, we hadn't discussed before uh, before recording the uh, the moment of the year, and it's it's the same for both of us. I think that just shows how how important it was and how much it meant uh, to British fight fans really, and and how much Anthony Joshua means to British fight fans, and how much we want him to get back stuck into the mix with the other two big guys at heavyweight in 2020. You know, he's he transcends our sport, and I can't wait for him to keep doing it in uh, in 2020. And, keep delivering moments like he did in Saudi. Certainly. Um, so I think, you know, on that point, you know, I think I'd just like to say, you know, I really enjoyed putting these um, awards together. Um, is there anything you'd like to add um, to close out our podcast, Ewan? No, no, no I'm, I'm just, just congratulations to all the winners and uh, and everyone that missed out. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry because the, the calibre was amazing and you feel like you don't do the ones that you don't say won justice because they were, they were amazing and, you know, the, the the boxers, every single one of them, every boxer that even gets in in a boring fight, you know, they they deserve recognition. And you know, sometimes you just can't give it to everyone. And but that's that's the way it is. Yeah, certainly. You know, I'll I like all those thoughts. I'll second those thoughts. You know, congratulations to each of our winners, um, each worthy winners. 
Um, and I'd just like to say, you know, I'd wish you uh, a happy new year, you and I wish all our listeners and all our followers at Simbox, um, you know, all the best for the new year. Um, and let's hope 2020 is another spectacular year of boxing. Thanks, Luke.